When did you last play? Oh my god, literally this morning. I was outside. I've just moved into a new place um, with the love of my life. And he and I did a little dance at this one sunspot where the sun comes in in our backyard. And we're underneath this huge tree that, um, a pine tree that just, you know, hugs us, embraces us. And we danced with the sun and the tree and... It was just a moment of, you know, moving can be so stressful. And yes. I think we wanted to bring in a moment of ease and play. And it wasn't a long time. We, like, did a little boogie for, you know, probably, like, <laughs> two minutes. And then gave each other a little kiss and then continued on. You know, on a breathing, but, I um, love that, though, because play doesn't need to be, you know, scheduling a whole day. It can be those moments of pause that say, like, let's remember why we're doing this. We're moving and it's not just stress yeah and my partner and I we connected through dance a lot so you know on our first couple of dates we would go out to choreography dance classes or you know we would go out to shows where we could dance you know so dancing is just a big part of our flow and our connection so to bring that into a new home is so it's so great welcome to lead with a dash of play Here, we talk about the how and why of reclaiming playfulness as adults in order to build more connected, innovative, and human-centered workspaces. Isn't that what leadership is all about? I'm your host, Mary Hendra. Let's play. My guest today is Scott Shigeoka who has taught at University of Texas at Austin, researched with UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, and consulted with companies from Hollywood to the Fortune 500. Scott and I connected over play thoughts on LinkedIn, but have come through giving space for mutual curiosity to find many intersections. So it was a true joy to interview him this summer in relation to his upcoming book release. I present it as the capstone to my summer session, that final bash that hopefully brings you much food for thought going into fall. Scott pushes us to think of play in serious settings. He invites us to marry curiosity and courage so that we follow questions with action and he sees the opportunity in that for changing the world. Take a listen. Pre-order his book. Get ready to change. So you are publishing a book that's coming out this fall. I am. Yeah, Seek, How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World. And I love this because to me, play and curiosity are so linked. Mm. And at the same time, you take curiosity so deep and really into the some of the like serious tensions that this world and this country have been experiencing in recent mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, play can also be serious. You know, it's play, it's fun, <laughs> yeah. but it's also really important um, for our mind, our body and our soul and so is curiosity. Um, you know, curiosity is often seen as this intellectual activity 
activity that we do, you know, we learn about a tree or we learn about uh, that plant mm. that's growing outside, or we try to collect information about the world for pub trivia or whatever it is, right? <laughs> it's But it's about more than that. It's, it's yeah. not just an intellectual activity. It's also something that we can bring down into our hearts. Mm. It's heart centered. It can help us to connect more deeply to ourselves. We can question our stories and where we come from and our pasts and how those stories show up today and our behaviors and the ways we treat ourselves or others. But curiosity is also a heart-centered activity that we can bring into our relationships. We can get curious about the people we love, our families, whether that's our parents or our children or our siblings. We can get curious about our colleagues, uh, those we supervise, those that are supervising us. We can get curious about the people we live around, our neighbors, our community. So curiosity is heart-centered and important for a relationship relationships and also our relationship to the divine. And that's not just religious in connotation that can be thinking about, you know, the next generations who are not yet born yet, that can be about consciousness, whatever the divine means to you, um, whatever living outside of this physical realm today means to you, we can also get curious about that. So I like to always start with a definition of curiosity is seeking to understand a desire to understand a search to understand it's really about understanding and through understanding that's how we build our connections to others that's how we heal and that's how we grow as people uh i appreciate that you identified these multiple levels right there's mm-hmm. curiosity about ourselves we don't just know ourselves because we've made it into adulthood right that's a lifelong pursuit mm-hmm. And then curiosity with others and curiosity with the divine. Yeah. And I call those the cardinal directions of curiosity. So there's three directions. There's inward, outward, and the beyond. And you nailed it. You know, inward (laughs) is getting curious about yourself. Outward is getting curious about those around you or the systems and culture around you. And then beyond is getting curious about the divine. And you had mentioned, you know, it's also about using curiosity as a force for change. And that's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we are going through the highest, you know, levels of division and disconnection that we've seen. And this isn't just in our own communities or our own country, but this is happening around the world. And, you know, I I see this as what I call in the book, the age of incuriosity, the era of incuriosity, this moment when we are turning away from ourselves and each other. And that's for many reasons. We, you know, disagree with the way that someone votes or we have differences in the way that we see certain issues or the world. Um, We get into conflicts or tensions that become so escalated that it it causes rupture in our relationships. And that is the antithesis of curiosity. Curiosity actually invites us to lean into those moments of difficulty and discomfort and tension and to not lose sight of the person that is in front of you. Because mm-hmm. as soon as we lose sight of that, as soon as we become incurious about them, it is so much easier for us to cancel them or to cut them off completely. And I'm not saying right. that we don't sometimes need to have those boundaries. And you know, there's sometimes where people have come in with so much harm where we do need to create that separation but there's so many other moments where we could just bring a little bit more curiosity into our communities or our workplace and that would help to heal and solve a lot of the issues that we're experiencing and that's not just an interpersonal one-on-one level that's you know at the largest levels of um, a whole workforce or a whole you know society yeah 
you start your book by talking about a particular journey of curiosity that was directly into the polarized politics of mm -hmm. America today. Yeah. Can you share more about what that was and why you decided you needed to do it? Yeah, well, look, I think all of us can feel on a personal level that things are really, really divided on the political front. Mm -hmm. You know, you turn on the news or you even go to a family reunion. And I've talked to thousands of people at this point, and I've felt it in my own life, where there is this intense division that is happening um, because of politics. And it's it's really affecting not only our relationships, but our, our well-being. It's actually people I've talked to have said they're so stressed, they're so anxious, they're so fearful. They don't even want to go and see their families anymore. They don't even mm -hmm. want to go back into these kinds yeah. of, um, you know, what they call um, scary um, or fearful situations. Um, and I was feeling that too, especially after the 2016 elections. Um, I was feeling a sense of polarization in my own life and just seeing it everywhere that I went. And I thought I was working a job at the time, you know, this corporate job and I was doing really great work. But, you know, I was like, there, there has to like, I, I see the direction our country is going and I can talk about it as much as I can with my friends or at dinners or at cocktail parties. But there was this part of me that was aching to actually do something about this. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine a world where we were just continuing to spiral in this direction of darkness and despair and disconnection. So I thought, what can I do? And as a storyteller, as someone who, you know, knows how to connect with people and knows how to lead with curiosity, I went on this 12-month journey across the country, um, 45,000 miles covered, and I went to, you know, a Trump rally in Minnesota. I went to uh, a mega church in the South. I talked to people who are a part of organizations that are anti-LGBTQ in terms of the legislation they're trying to pass. Like folks who I, as an Asian American, someone who's queer, someone who's progressive, you know, I have a lot of differences with them. Yeah. But I wanted to understand, is there a way that we can see each other's humanity, where we can share stories with one another so that we can transform ourselves and our understanding of each other and yeah. still hold a, a relationship that is grounded in humanity. The big takeaway is, yes, we are able to do this. It requires immense hard work. It is a yeah. constant practice, just like we have to practice every day in our romantic relationships and our family yeah. at work. It is a constant practice. It is very hard, but hopefully with the tools and with the understanding of how this can work for you, you know, you can get out there and do it in not just a way where you feel set up for success, but also in a way that feels playful and energetic and optimistic mm. and fun. So you're connecting across differences with curiosity in a way that's actually bringing you joy and is easing the suffering that you have in today's yeah. world. How did you change in the journey? I mean, that was a big thing, right? I came in thinking about, okay, I'm going to go and change all of these people's <laughs> minds and hearts. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go in and change all these people's minds and hearts. And they're going to, you know, they're going to see that what they're doing is backwards, hateful, discriminatory, <laughs> whatever it was. Right. And I realized that that was such a projection because there was so much inside of me 
that was hateful and discriminatory. And that came from, you know, my own traumas, mm. my own injuries that I've experienced in the church, um, that I've experienced in my own childhood that I yeah. was pushing onto people. But I had to always remember that no two Christians are the same. The people that hurt me then just because they share the same identity aren't necessarily out there to also hurt me. Um, yeah. You know, in this journey, I was welcomed with open arms. I learned about queer and trans clergy in the church. I learned about LGBTQ accepting um, churches and, and religious um, communities all across the country. And I realized, wow, I was holding a sense of discrimination and hate towards mm. others. Even when I went to the Trump rally in Minnesota, which I write about in the book, I nuanced my understanding of a group yeah. of people. And I think at the end of the day, that's what curiosity offers us. We live in a world where it's so easy to paint broad strokes about certain people, whether that's an individual yeah. or a group of people. And what curiosity invites us to do is it allows us to ask questions and build relationships with people so that we can have a more colorful and a more nuanced and a more critical you know, perspective on yeah. who someone is or who a group of people are. A lot of folks wonder whether, you know, curiosity for me is just this like kumbaya, like let's just hear each other's stories and then move mm -hmm. on with our lives. That's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah. I am very critical and and you know, I you know, you can read this in the book that, you know, I'm all about justice and I'm all about belonging and I'm all about well-being. And if we can yeah. collectively work towards those kinds of goals you know, we're all going to be lifted up. Um, and so yeah. curiosity to me is a gateway to those kinds of things, right? It, and, and and such, it has to be utilized in uh, a nuanced way, in a sophisticated way, right? Because it's not just everyone go around yeah. and everyone has, you know, a voice to share and that's us being curious. It's so much more multidimensional than that. And so um, for me, I think that at the end of the day, if we want to create change for the better, if we all want to move forward in our own individualized and collectively, you know, a big part of dissolving the hate that we either feel towards ourselves or towards the other is about getting to know the real person and the real stories that they have. And yeah. we can only do that when we're in deep relationship with them. Yeah. And I always invite people to think about themselves first. I you know, because sometimes we can be the most hateful and the most critical towards ourselves. The voices that some of us hold, myself Ooh. included, critical and demeaning and can be mm -hmm. very harsh. And, you know, a big part of the healing process, whether that's more Western forms of therapy or whether that's more, you know, different modalities of healing, there's so many that um, we can be exposed to and, and engage with. It's all about extending a deep sense of curiosity and compassion towards ourselves as a gateway to move from hate towards love. And so the same sort of practice happens when we are in connection with other people. Yeah. You know, if we want to feel less hate towards a group of people, if we can really connect with them as humans and understand their stories, then that is going to create the transformation for ourselves to move from hate to love. And we know from the research that when you are practicing curiosity, um, you're thus not putting someone else on the defensive and it invites them to be more curious. So in a way, curiosity yeah. is contagious, right? Yeah. Because the other question is, well, I'm always being curious all the time. What about the curiosity that should be extended to me? 
And, you know, it, everyone's on a different journey. And, you know, I think queer folks especially understand this from the coming out process. You know, I, you know, came out to certain loved ones who took a little bit more of t- more time to get to that justice, that belonging, that love. Um, you know, they had their own stories and their own fears and their own, um, you know, discriminatory views, but being in relationship with them and having them see a more nuanced and fuller picture allowed them to move towards, you know, an arc of love. And I think we can get there not just around sexuality, but pretty much any issue of our time. You mentioned at the beginning this element of naming this as an age of in curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I want to come back to that for a minute because it does seem like there's a, a growing kind of discomfort with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And you know, probably as especially in professional places and for leaders as they grow go up in the ranks, they want to be seen as experts. Um they don't want to get lost, right? They they want to be be the one who knows, right? But curiosity, as you've described it, requires that humility to say, I'm, I may not know myself as well as I could. I may not know the persons around me as well as I could. How do you help people bridge that discomfort with uncertainty that could shut down their curiosity? Yeah, and that's not like there's a malfunction with us because we don't like uncertainty. I mean, quite literally, our brains do not like uncertainty and and creates a sense of anxiety. And and that there can be a power to that too, right? Is what I always love to remind people that the things that make us anxious or even stressed, there's actually a flip side to it where it can be really Mm -hmm. um, helpful in making us more thoughtful and helping us to deepen into our relationships and think about our lives anyway. So I always like to start there um, so that it doesn't feel like this is something we need to get rid of because it's always going to be a part of us. And and this is a journey about being in relationship with uncertainty and and moving through life with it. And then the other piece is, um, you know, I think a lot about um, this culture that we're all in, which is, you've said it really well, this culture of knowingness, this culture Mm of, I need to have all the answers. And that makes me look great. When in fact, the social science says that when you have intellectual humility and you invite questions and you don't seem so domineering and like a know-it-all is that you are actually liked more and you are actually (laughs) going to be more successful in your work or your personal relationships. And so there's actually a huge benefit to humility um, that does go against the grain of the traditional cultures that most of us are working in. But there's this huge benefit for our individual and collective success if we can tap into it. So the big part of it is how do we bridge that gap to your point? And I think curiosity is just the beginning. I also talk a lot about in the book that you can get curious all you want, but if it's not followed up with action, (laughs) you know, Mm. nothing's going to change in your life. Nothing's going to change in the lives of others. Um, And so you have to also be fiercely courageous. You have to be able to Mm. bridge that curiosity with action through your own courage. And so, so difficult. 
And fortunately for us, curiosity actually alleviates a lot of the anxiety that we feel um, when we want to take action, um, but feel sometimes really scared um, or, yeah. or fear, fear, feel fearful to do it. Um, so if you look at end of life doulas or palliative care physicians, for instance, um, folks who have end of life anxiety, when they get curious about death, yeah. when they get curious about their lives and the life that they've led, they actually reduce their anxiety. And for mm -hmm. some, it seems counterintuitive. How is getting curious about the thing I fear, like yeah. death, going to actually reduce my anxiety? Isn't that going <laughs> to actually create more of it? And so, um, but the truth is when you are supported and you are going on the journey of curiosity in a way that doesn't induce panic, but just a sense of yeah. discomfort that you're managing it can actually reduce the overall anxiety that you're feeling. So take that from death and move it into any other part of your life, whether that's yeah. a person that you might be, you know, fearful of entering into a conversation with because it's going to be a tough conversation, yeah. or maybe it's a move that you're about to do, whether that's a move to a new house or a move to a new job. Those are all fearful things that have a lot of uncertainty, but we can bring in, you know, curiosity and actually reduce our anxiety so we show up more fully. Sometimes the curiosity is even in, why am I feeling so sad? Why am I so angry? But I can imagine those curiosities can be helpful too. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yes, like getting inwardly curious. And curiosity allows us to be in the imperfection and in the messiness and be able to repair and make things a little bit less icky and to yeah. reduce our suffering and to reduce our anxiety and to reduce our discomfort and give us more courage. And I'm always like, who wouldn't want that? And they're like, <laughs> you know, what I mean, like the times are hard. Like we need things <laughs> like curiosity yep. and play in our lives right now. And you know, the social science research also says that when we embrace these kinds of things, it makes us better. You know, we don't just yeah. come back to ourselves. We we become better, right? I just heard Shikari Richardson, the sprinter, say that. I was like, oh my God, I love that. And it's like, we have this opportunity to build a better version of ourselves, our families, our communities, our workplaces, our society, when we embrace tools like curiosity. Yeah. Curiosity is clearly it's a mindset. It's a practice. Do you also have certain things that are your current curiosities that you're exploring? Ooh, I love that question. Well, I mean, I'm in the midst of launching a book into the world and my big curiosity that I'm holding is I would like to see impact in the world. That's what I'm driven by. That's my North Star. Mm -hmm. I'm excited for folks to read the book and hopefully see their own transformation and then want to sort of, you know, invite others to go along in the journey. So, yeah. I mean, that's one of the parts of the book process that I'm so excited about is hearing how people are taking you know, the messages and the practices into their own lives. And if the book was meaningful to you and you started to use these practices, like, please reach out. I want to have conversations with you. Mm -hmm. And um, this Beautiful. is the part I love the most. Fantastic. And then outside of that sort of more like spirit and like calling, um, you know, work that I have in front of me, I'm, I'm really like struggling with presence right now. Like I think mm -hmm. that I have so many things going on right now and so many obligations and so much pressure. Yeah. And I want to invite more presence to be mm. like, wow, 
this is my debut book. That's only going to happen once. I'm in a beautiful relationship, the love of my life. I'm just moved into a house yesterday from the day we recorded this conversation. <laughs> like there's so many things happening. How do I stay present with each of those beautiful things that happen with my family, with my partner, mm -hmm. with myself, with the journeys I'm on, um, personal and professionally, how do I stay present? So I'm mm -hmm. very curious about how I can invite more presence into my life. And the way I do that is I talk to the people and I build the relationships with the folks who I see who are so present. I think about some of my friends yeah. some of my mentors, some of my family members, and I invite them into conversation of like, how do you do this? Like, <laughs> what, is this, what is the way that you do this? And I take their strategies and their tools and their life experiences. And, you know, I'm integrating that into my own life. But I would say presence and impact. Those are the two sort of curiosities I have. As we end today, is there one invitation you would give to people listening to the podcast to be more curious or play a little with curiosity at work? I'm hearing from so many people that people are feeling, you know, tired and drained and there's so much to do and so little time. Um, and that's coupled with this ambition, this ambition to grow and to accomplish things and to mm -hmm. want to make a difference. Um, in whatever organization or effort they're in. Yeah. And so one of the activities that I have in the book that directly responds to this, that, you know, this, this feeling of exhaustion is the practice of quicksanding. You do not want to flail or kind of like shake aggressively to try to get out of the quicksand. Yeah. It actually holds you tighter and may, maybe even sinks you in further. So the thing that you do, just like in literal quicksand, is you take deep, giant breaths, really mindful breaths. You know, I call it, you know, a deep five, you know, take five deep inhales and five deep exhales. And in quicksand, you slow down and you invite intentional movement into your body. Mm -hmm. And that's what actually shakes up the sand and mm -hmm. allows you to hopefully move up to the top <laughs> of the surface. So you, and, and allows you to be buoyant and you can yeah. then, you know, swim out or get pulled out of the quicksand. The same is true in our own life's quicksand. You know, we can use intentional mm -hmm. movement. We can, you know, go around the block and observe the mm -hmm. trees around us. See if we can spot new birds. You know, we mm -hmm. can listen to new sounds. We can invite new senses um, into our awareness and yeah. taking five minutes to do that, you know, can mm -hmm. really, um, regulate our emotions, uh, you know, help with our decision-making. Um, it can calm ourselves and yeah. it just allows us to have more spaciousness so that we yeah. can respond and move through the hard times that all of us are in right now. Yeah. So my invitation is quicksand. Beautiful. Thank you so much for our conversation today. I love this idea of play. I always with my keynotes, my firesides, my talks, I <laughs> always try to get folks to play and be silly in some way. I'm a very playful and silly person. You know, whenever clients work with me, they're like, wow, like <laughs> you are just, I'm like always so jazzed up and I'm smiling. I feel like so much energy. And, and I'm like, yeah. And I want to bring that into the culture. And a big part of it is yeah. using these beautiful tools that we know of from science, from our lives um, that come from, you know, play and come from curiosity and spreading that through a culture. And it can really transform people and a place in remarkable ways. I've gotten to yeah. see that over the years and it's just oh, so beautiful. beautiful to watch. Yeah. yeah. Thank you 
for listening to the Lead with a Dash of Play podcast. I hope this conversation has inspired you to lean in to deep curiosity and to check out the book. You can find all the details at seekthebook.com. I'll be back with the next season of Lead with a Dash of Play in October. Reza Zaidi and Joanna Stevens created and provided the beautifully playful and reflective music you hear in this podcast. The song is titled Holding Rain.